So Joseph was a servant for Potter. He's working at Potiphar's house. And um, this takes us to test number four. Are you ready for test number four? Say, oh, yeah. oh yeah. I really don't think you're ready. I really don't think you're ready. I really don't. Let's try it again. Are you ready for test number four? Say, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, test number four is the purity test. Woo! Isn't that so exciting? Wow! We love to talk about purity in church. In Genesis 39, 6 through 12, Joseph was attractive and handsome. Isn't it very interesting the Bible says that about somebody? I am so curious when I get to heaven what he looked like. You know? I mean, like, what was attractive and handsome back then in that culture? Who knows? Did he have, like, giant earlobes? Like, what was it that, you know, that people thought was attractive? Anyway, it came to pass that his boss's wife, Potiphar's wife, cast longing eyes on Joseph. Remember, it always starts with looking at the wrong things. And she said, lie with me. But he refused and said, my master's committed his entire house to me. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He didn't say sin against your husband. That was obvious. He said, God holds my destiny and I love God too much to fall into this temptation. And so uh, the Bible says that she spoke to Joseph day by day. For some people, especially young men, the temptation of looking at the wrong things is a day-by-day -day temptation. And she asked him to lie with her, and she wasn't talking about telling a fib. She wanted, she basically got on.com and sent him a request is what happened. And when Joseph went into the house one day to do his work and nobody was inside, he was trying to keep away from the appearance of evil, and this is why our leaders in church don't meet with the opposite sex by themselves nor do we text the opposite sex by themselves. We always add a spouse into the group text. But she snuck in and she called him by his coat. He got himself a new coat. And she said, lie with me. But Joseph ran outside, leaving his coat behind. Joseph was willing to be inconvenienced as not to fall into sexual immorality. And before we get into the thick of things, let me just ask a few questions just to, just to be funny. But uh, what was the thing that Joseph was wearing when his brothers saw him afar off and hated him? A coat. a coat, okay? What did his brothers use to convince his father that Joseph had died? A coat. Now, you might not know the answer to this, but I think you can guess. What does Potiphar's wife use to convince the police that Joseph tried to rape her? A coat. I would never wear a coat again the rest of my life if I were Joseph. It could be 20 degrees outside. I'll be in a, in a short sleeve shirt. You could offer me your coat and I would run in the other direction. I would never wear a coat again. But here's the thing about this test. Joseph passed the test because he ran from it. He was a single guy and he ran from sexual morality. 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee from sexual morality and thought, word, or deed. In other words, if you're not married to it, don't look at it. If you're not married to it, don't touch it. If you're not married to it, don't lust after it. You're not married. So Joseph passed the test. But I'm not going to talk to the single people about purity today because I've done that enough for the past year. Okay? I want to talk to the married people. Because Potiphar's wife is the one that failed the test. Because she was looking at things that did not belong to her. She was looking at the wrong thing. She was looking at someone she thought was attractive and handsome. She lusted after that person and she lunged after them and tried to live it out. It, looked, it always starts with looking. So listen, if you struggle with looking at the wrong things and you're married, you need to struggle together. You need to be humble enough to tell your spouse, I battle looking at the wrong things. Now, if your spouse is humble enough to tell you this, and you condemn them, they will never be honest with you again. 
If you say, I can't believe you. I thought you were a godly man. And here I'm doing all this serving you. And you're looking at pornography. If you do that, they will never be honest with you, number one. Number two, there'll be no healing in that person's life. Which means, number three, there'll be no restoration in your marriage. And it'll just keep going downhill. So when your spouse comes to you and says, this is something that I battle. Listen, it's not a love battle. It's a lust battle. There's a huge difference. If Potiphar's wife actually loved Joseph, she wouldn't have let him go to prison for something he didn't do. She didn't love him. She lusted after him. It's a lust battle. And everyone in this room is tempted in one way or another. If you tell your spouse, listen, I have this diet and God's been telling me I need to get on this diet. And then one day you eat a Krispy Kreme donut and you tell your spouse... And that I thought you said you loved God and you told God you were going to do this diet and you messed up. That's not what they're going to do. It's, it's okay, baby. I'll help you. What can I do to help you overcome? In a marriage, we should always struggle together. James 1, uh, let's see. Oh, it starts with the eyes. So Psalms 103, 101.3. I'll set nothing wicked before my eyes. 2 Peter 2.14. Having eyes full of adultery, their appetite for sin is never satisfied. Um... Don't look at things that you think are attractive and handsome if you're not married to them. It always starts with looks. But you've got to be honest with each other in this. And you've got to help each other. You cannot think that you're more spiritual than they are because they um, battle something that you don't battle. We all battle things. Some of us battle the same. Some of us battle different. But you have to learn how to struggle with each other. James 1.14 Every person is tempted. Everybody's tempted. So don't be shocked when your spouse tells you Yes, I do struggle with looking at the wrong things. Now, if your spouse is looking at pornography, it's not your fault, but you as their helpmate can help them to overcome and be healed. Let me tell you some things you can do in your marriage to try to help the other person in this area. You have to have an incredible sex life if you're married. And rather than the word sex, you could use the word intimacy. Um, it might not, you think, well, sex, you need to be intimate with each other on a regular basis. Being intimate with your spouse is more important than your kids. Let your kids eat Twinkies in the other room, lock them in their bedroom, put Freddy Krueger in there if you have to, do whatever it takes to have time with you and your spouse. Whatever you put above this area of your life, that person's going to realize, I must not be that important to you. If your work is more, well, I'm just too tired. Well, you knew how much energy you had when you woke up this morning and you exhausted all that energy at work and now you're poor and you're not going to pour, you're not going to have the energy you need to pour into me. So here's some four things I think you need to write these down. The first one is this. You should romance and serve each other all day long. It's uh, um, making love starts in the living room. It starts with the text to each other each day. Nobody wants to make love to somebody that's mean or negative or cruel or anything like that. Nobody wants to do that. Um, nobody wants to make love to someone that's always condemning them or doesn't think very highly of them or that somehow um, steals their joy throughout the day. You want to make love to the person you're married to because you feel like they think you're the greatest thing in the world. So romance starts all day. Here's the next thing. It's all about attitude, not looks. Don't dare think, well, I've gained weight, and that's why he's looking at pornography. It has nothing to do with that. It's an attitude. Your spouse wants to know that you want to pursue them and that you can't wait to be alone with them and you love to kiss them and you love to touch them and you love to serve them and do whatever it takes to make their life better. It's an attitude situation. Don't ever think it's about looks. That's a lie from the devil. Third thing is this. Clean and manicure yourself, especially men. For heaven's sakes, when you were dating, you put on cologne and you cut that nose hair back and you made sure. Listen, you got to be clean. 
And after you clean yourself once, clean yourself again, and then one third time just to make sure you're clean. Manicures, brush your teeth at least two times a day, for heaven's sakes. I'm not your dentist, but come on. If you were dating that person that you're married to, how, much, how what different would you act? How much more would you pursue them all throughout the day? Don't ever let the romance die off in a marriage. And I don't care what's happened in your marriage. I promise you it can be restored if you want it to. If it's God's will and you're still married, it can't. the romance can come back even better than when you were dating. I promise you. Here's the fourth thing is never, ever, ever deny that person. Ever, 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 ever. Never deny them intimacy. Never let them go to bed unfulfilled. You make sure your spouse is fulfilled and totally okay and doing great before you go to bed each night. I don't care how tired you are. I don't care what the kids are doing. I don't care what's going on in your life. Be quiet and serve that person. If you deny your spouse in this area, especially if you deny a man in this area and you're married, you need to deny him if you're not married. But if you're married and you deny that man, you take away his confidence. You take away his zeal for serving you the next day. You take away something that there's a desire that God put in man and woman. And only you as the spouse can fulfill it. It's very important. And you know, you know you've heard cleanliness is next to godliness. Y'all have heard that? It's not in the Bible, but it's really good advice. So number three was really good. Be clean and manicure yourself. Okay, so never deny the person. Always make sure before you go to bed that they are totally 100% fulfilled. I promise you, this is a pornography deterrent in your marriage. Because if you deny this person something that they desire that only you can fulfill, and you deny them, I promise you, Satan will put 25 different people, objects, cell phones, websites in front of their eyes the next day. I promise you, Satan is waiting, just waiting for you to deny your spouse something that only you can fulfill in their life. Um, so years ago, I was like 28 years old, just started pastoring, and this really rich older lady came to church one Sunday wearing like a women's Rolex. It was winter. She had a fur coat on. It was, we were at a storefront church. She pulled in her Mercedes, and she said to me after service, I've heard good things about you, and my son, who's a police officer, and his wife are having some problems, and I want you to counsel them. And I said, I don't counsel people. I'm horrible at it. She said, well, I was going to make a really big donation to your church. I said, can they be here at 4 or 5 o'clock? Which one's better for me? So they showed up, and the wife, she's eight months pregnant. I mean, eight months pregnant, you know. They've just been married two years, and they sit down, and I always, and I, I don't counsel ever, but in this case I did, and I said, and it always starts in the bedroom. Listen, if the bedrooms attend in your marriage, all, the rest of the marriage will fall into place. If it's a godly Ten in the bedroom. If you're doing it, God, I'm telling you, God's way. So, but so I said to him, I said, "What's your what's your bedroom life like?" Oh, we don't we don't make love or anything. I was like, "You're pregnant." She said, "Well, once eight months ago. Before that, once every few months." I was like, "What?" So God spoke to me very clearly and said, "There's pornography in, in the marriage." And so I said, "Is there any pornography?" And they both shook their heads, "Yes." So I look at the husband and I was like, "Listen, man, you got to get filters on your computer, get an accountability. You need to make sure you and you serve your wife all throughout the day." And you did, and I just went on and on. He's like, "I agree with you." I don't want any pornography in our marriage. I looked at her and I was like, huh? She said, I'm not getting rid of it. I like, I said, I wanted to say, what are you talking about, Willis? That's what I wanted to say. She's eight months pregnant. And I said, no, 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 no. I read scripture after scripture and she wouldn't give. I said, no, for two hours I tried to convince her it's going to ruin your marriage. She wouldn't give it up. Two months after the baby was born, they divorced. He is in a healthy marriage and doing great. To this day, she still hasn't found anybody to be faithful to. 
I'm telling you, it'll destroy your marriage. It'll destroy it. Genesis 2.18, the Lord said it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make him a helper. Man wasn't alone. When God said this, man was not alone. The creator of the universe was with him. Was standing and walking and talking with him. Can you believe that? God said, I am with you. The greatest relationship in the universe, yet you're missing something. And so God found it worthy to put something in womankind that not even God himself decided to fulfill in a man. He gave a man a desire that God did not fulfill himself. And he put it in the wife. Listen, you have a very powerful position in your marriage. You're the only person in the universe that can fulfill that need. And God chose to put it in you. And you're going to deny that person? You're going to deny something that not even God could fulfill? That is the greatest scripture you'll ever see on marriage. The recent survey shows that men rate sex as their number one or number two need in a marriage. Women rate it number 13. Number 12 is gardening, which is what I don't understand. <laughs> I realize it's different, but either way. Don't deny. Okay, ready? Here's number five. <laughs> I mean, gardening, what? I, I enjoy gardening. I don't know. Anyway, number five, the prison test. The prison test. This is the test of being fruitful and productive when the wrong thing is happening to you. Okay? So, Genesis 39, 13 through 23. When she saw Joseph, that's Potiphar's wife, flee outside, she called to the men of her house saying, he came to lie with me. She was a southerner, by the way. Just I don't know if you knew that. Southern part of Egypt. And um, when I cried out, he left his coat with me and ran outside. When his master heard this, he put Joseph in prison. Now here's the greatest scripture we're going to read. We read it over and over in the life of Joseph. But the Lord was with Joseph and gave him favor in the sight of the prison keeper. So he put Joseph in charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever Joseph did, the Lord made it prosper. And that, that, it doesn't matter who the president is. It doesn't matter who Pharaoh is. It doesn't matter who the prison keeper is. What matters is are you doing what God's called you to do where you're at? Because that determines your future. Now, there's two things that Joseph had that God gave him. Write this down. He had the ability to interpret dreams. He was a dream interpreter. Remember that. Here's the other thing. He was an organizer. He had the gift of organization. Do you know people, I'm sure, in your life that, man, you, you hand them a bunch of numbers and they know exactly how to fix the numbers and they can organize. And, you know, he had a gift of organization. And everywhere Joseph went, he used these gifts. Joseph could have said, you know what, God, I'm going to use these things and help people after you answer my prayers. I'm going to join the church and start serving after you heal me of this. I'm going to lift my hands and worship like everybody else does in church after you deliver me of this addiction. I'm going to have peace in my life after my kids get out of diapers. I'm going to have a good attitude at work after you get me a better job. It will never happen if you're not fruitful and productive right where God has you now. Don't ever believe the lie. I'm going to sit back and wait on God. God's waiting on you. Uh, Jesus said in John 15, 16, I chose you and I put you in the world to produce much fruit. You can be pitiful or you can be productive, but you can't be both. 
Wherever God has you today, don't let anything deceive you into staying where you're at. You need to get up and walk by faith. If you want to get out of the mess you're in, if you want the adversity to end, you have to be productive where you're at now. Galatians 6, 7. Now, I just want you for a minute to think of capitalism and socialism. Just for a second. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he reap. It doesn't say what other people sow. You just sit back and you can just take the harvest of what they sow. It says what you sow, you reap. In other words, if you want to come out of where you're at, you got to sow seeds where you're at. If you want your future to be better, you got to sow some seeds in the present. Your future is not dependent on anybody else. Your future is dependent on your walk with God. It's, and, and you know, <laughs> so many people, they, there's so many people that feel like, they think, you know what, I, I, I'm just praying, I'm just hoping and praying for God to change things in my life. That's great, but faith without works is dead. Tomorrow's harvest is based on today's seed. Um, all Moses had was a staff, but he held it up in the air when God said, hold it up in the air and the Red Sea parted. All the little boy had was five loaves and two fish, but when Jesus asked for it, he gave it. Well, Jesus, I'm not going to have any food if I give this away. doesn't matter. If Jesus asks for it, you do it. All the widow woman had was a mite. One dollar. She gave everything she had. All Samson had was the jawbone of a donkey. But he used that to kill a thousand Philistines. All David had was a slingshot. He stepped out in faith. You know, the Bible says there were over 700 other shooters that could sling a rock and a hare and not miss. It actually says they were all left-handed. There were 700 other people that could have done exactly what David did, but only one of them decided to get up and step into their destiny. What do you have in your hand? Why won't you release it? What has God given you where you're at right now? And why won't you use it? What's stopping you? Don't you know that God has this amazing plan for your life? He's just waiting on you to step out there and fulfill it. I realize bad things have happened to all of us. There's times in our life where we feel like, man, my best days were behind me. And oh, if I was young again, oh, I'd have the energy and oh, I'd feel good and I'd be able to do this and do that. Listen, you might not be young again, but God can make tomorrow better than yesterday. I promise you, that's how good of a God he is. Genesis 40 verse 2 says, Sometime later, the chief butler and baker offended Pharaoh, so he put him in prison where Joseph was. Both the men had a dream, and so the chief butler told Joseph his dream. Verse 13 says, but Joseph said, I'm not going to help you interpret this dream because God hasn't gotten me out of this mess yet. Is that what it says? I'm not going to serve you because I'm not feeling good. Is that what it says? I have the ability to interpret this dream, but I'm waiting on God to do some things in my life first. Is that what it says? No, verse 13, Joseph said to him, here's what your dream means. Yes, I'm in jail. The wrong thing happened to me. I'm doing my best, but I'm still sowing seeds. In three days, you'll be restored. Please remember me and help me get out of this jail. In verse 21, Pharaoh actually restored the chief butler, just like the dream said. However, once again, somebody forgot all about Joseph. He's doing the right thing and the wrong thing's happening to him. Um, six years ago... Um, Sorry. 
Sorry. So, <laughs> now it's just funny. So, just, uh, so six years ago, um, I make this. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm fine. I take the whole thing. So six years ago, I make this um, mistake in my life, and I, I lose 99% of everything God gave me. I mean, the house, marriage, dog, 99% of my friends, ministry, everything. And so I decide to leave because I'm hurt. I'm done. You know, I invested 10 years into these friends, and I helped them overcome, you know, homosexuality or divorce or whatever, just all kind of things, just stood with them and... Then I make a mistake, and so I, you know, I, I, I stand in front of everybody and I repent for what I did. And I thought that when you repent, you're supposed to help people, you know. So I lose everything. And I was done with church, so I went to my friend Mark. And to be honest, we weren't even friends at the time. I'd spent ten years trying to get him in church, and we were not close at all. And I went to him and I said, um. I need a job. I'm done with church. Find me a job playing piano somewhere. And he said, oh. he said why would you stop preaching? I said, because, man, I've gone through some adversity. I've gone through bad things. I'm done. In a way, he was saying, God never gives a timeout. He doesn't give you a timeout. You may give yourself a timeout. He doesn't give you a timeout. No matter what you're going through, what you've done, he expects you to step up, serve, use what you have. So Mark said, if you go back and preach, I'll come play the piano for you. Just that one reason was worth stepping back into ministry. Yeah. One reason. Amen. Within nine months, God had given me way better friends than I ever had my entire life. I got, I have, I have a Dan, I got a Jason, I got a Will, I got a Bob. Y'all don't even have, I got a Bob. He's my friend, not yours. We have the greatest elders I've ever had, the greatest church I could ever imagine. Great wife, great family. Listen, none of that would have happened had I stayed on the sidelines. None of that would have happened. And I said, I just sat back and nursed my wounds and thought it's not fair. I can't believe this. No, God must be done with me. None of that would have happened. None of that. At the end of Joseph's ministry, whenever Joseph steps into his destiny in Genesis 41, 51, he had two sons. He named one Ephraim, which means be fruitful because God made me fruitful during my affliction. He named his other son Manasseh, meaning to forget because God made me forget all my hardship. You'll never have a Manasseh until you have an Ephraim. You'll never be so blessed that you forget the pain you went through until you can be fruitful right where you are. Do you know how blessed, I'm so blessed, I can't even remember some of the pain I went through. I keep a journal for everything in my life. If I, anytime God teaches me something or I, I, I learn something or something I could do better and I write it all down, you know. And so sometimes I look back and think, man, I can't believe I went through this. I, can't, I don't even remember the pain. I don't even remember the hardship. I don't remember the nights that I couldn't sleep. I don't even remember it because I'm so blessed. You'll never get to the place where you forget the pain if you can't be fruitful during your affliction. Amen. Number six, last, last point today. Number six, the prophetic test. The prophetic test. This is the ultimate test. This is the test that determines if you step into your destiny or not. The prophetic test is a test will, 
Will you allow the Word of God to be the ultimate authority in your life and allow that Word to change you? Not do you obey every word, not do you know every word, but will you allow that to be the final authority that changed you? Psalms 105, 17 through 19, Joseph was sold as a slave. Then he was put in prison because it says they hurt his feet with shackles. Let's see where I'm at. They hurt his feet with shackles. His neck was put in iron until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord refined him. That first phrase, his word, is a very common Hebrew word that means spoken or dream or communication. In other words, it was referring to when God communicated to Joseph, I got a great plan for you, man. There's a dream for your life. You're going to be in charge of a lot of people. You're going to do great things. That was his word. But then it says, until that came to pass, the word, that Hebrew word means the literal Bible, word of the, God, word of the Lord refined him. That's what it means. The literal word of the God refined him. Here's the point. God tests our faith with his spoken word, but he tests our character with his written word. Yes, your faith is tested by if you hear God, God says, give this and you give it. Walk this way, you walk this way. That's your faith. But until the dream that God put in your heart, until the desires that he put inside of you come to pass, you've got to plant yourself in a place where the word of God is preached in a way that it changes you. Not makes you feel good. Not makes you think God just wants you to be happy and do whatever you want to do. But it changes you. It changes you on the inside. Psalms 119.105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and light unto my path. Deuteronomy 5.33, walk in the word so you'll live long and prosper. Even Spock knew the word of God. Can you believe that? Psalms 18.30, the word of God is perfect and flawless. He shields all who take refuge in it. I want to give you an analogy to help you understand what I'm talking about. Imagine that you're on earth and you're living in a hailstorm. And in south we call it a hailstorm. Everywhere you walk on earth, hail's just falling on you, trying to pull you here and pull you there. But Jesus is on earth with his word. And he's walking through your destiny. As long as you walk with Jesus, who's carrying the steel umbrella, the word of God, it's protecting you. It's prospering you. It's helping you overcome. It's giving you peace in your life. It's answering questions on how you handle things in your marriage. All that. But as soon as you decide to walk away from the Word of God, you lose the protection of the Word of God. And if you walk in a different direction than what Jesus is walking in, you'll end up at a different destination than what Jesus has for you. If you want to know your destiny, your destiny is the Word of God. Get in the word. Luke 8.15 says the seed of, is the word of God. When the seed's planted in good soils like people who hear the word, retain it with a good heart and produce fruit. Let me ask you a question. Can you retain the word when you hear it in this place? Yes or no? Yes, you can retain it. You can understand it. You can, you can apply it to your life. Romans 10.17, faith comes by hearing the word of God. The way you build faith is the word of God. I want you to understand we're not putting pressure on you to change. We're asking you to put pressure on the Word to change you. It's very important you understand that, or else you'll leave here condemned every Sunday. It's not your job to change yourself. You can't change yourself. You can't pass any tests on your own. Romans 12, 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, focusing on God's Word so you can discover His plan and His purpose for you. Do you want to know what God's purpose for you is? Get under the Word. It's not, you can't do it by, if we could change ourselves, I would be the first one in line. The first one in line. And I'd say, okay, I want to be more patient. 
I don't know if y'all know this, but I'm a little impatient. I would add, I would be, I want to be sweet. I want people to say, he's such a sweet pastor. No one's ever said that about me. Never, ever. I would change all these things, but I can't change myself. But guess what? I'm in a place every Sunday where the word of God can change me. God's destiny for your life is God's desire for your life. God's desire for your life is God's will for your life. God's will for your life is the word of God. If you want to know your destiny, get in the word. It's the word. So let me close with this point and this analogy. It'll help you. Several months, about three months, actually three months ago today, um, God put it on my heart to start getting back in shape. I'm 41 years old and I was, you know, during Corona, I was just eating Krispy Kremes every day and all that kind of stuff. So God opened up a door where I met this incredible guy who's a, who's a trainer. And so he started training me. And so I see him every week, sometimes twice, sometimes three times a week. And I do what he says. I try my best to do what he says at home and, you know, and eat this and don't eat this. And when I go see him, he says, lift this and I'll do my best to what he says to um, I've been doing it for three months. And I don't know if there's like a manual for men. There must be one somewhere that I read where if a man does anything strenuous during the day, any exercise, even if he does one push-up, He's required to look in the mirror with his shirt off and flex. I don't know if it's, I've read that somewhere. I mean, you could walk up these three stairs and think, you know what, I did some good work today. And you get in front of the mirror and you're doing your thing, you know. So every day I'm doing this and I don't look any different. And I think, I can't believe all this work, all this effort. I'm going to see, I'm doing what this guy says. I'm doing my best. And then I remembered the day we started, he took a picture of me, a before picture. And when I pulled out that before picture, and now when I look in the mirror, I'm like, wow! I can stand in front of the mirror for an hour and not get bored with that before picture. Do y'all want to see my before and after pictures? You just failed test number four. I just said, don't look at attractive and handsome people. 20 minutes ago, my goodness! I'll show you anyway. This is my before picture when I'm eating lunch with Mary Jane. That's my before picture. This is my after picture. So. Okay. If some of you. Okay, okay, okay. I think we're good. Take me back to the one before. Not that one, the point, the point. Okay. I think if some of you had a before picture of yourself spiritually before you started coming to church here, I think you'd be amazed at what God's done in your life. I think you'd be amazed at your, your mental health, your emotional, spiritual, relational, financial, your heart, your sleep. And I, I bet there's so much change that's happened in your life and you hadn't even struggled. You just you just hear the word. You're, you're, you show up every week. You allow us to train you. Let me ask a question. Do you really think I did everything my trainer said? Now, the days he said do 150 push-ups, and I only did 100. Do you think less of me because of that? What about when he said don't have any sweets? In, in the past three months, one night I ate three candy bars at midnight. <laughs> do you think less of me because of that? No, you know why? Because I show up every week, and I do my best, and I let him train me. Listen, don't leave here condemned. You show up every week in a church that does not water down the word. We're here to train you and help you in anything you
you battle and struggle, I promise the Word of God will do what it's supposed to do. If I could change myself, I would. There's things about me I don't like. I don't like that I'm, you know, impatient and and not. Don't tell anybody, but I love a dirty martini. I love a dirty martini. You know what? One day God may change that, and I'll drink chocolate milk. I don't know what I'll do. But listen, there's things that need to change. Don't ever think my pastor is such a godly man. No, I don't preach with passion. Because I'm a good, godly, spiritual man, I preach with passion because I want to be a good, godly, spiritual man. And only that changes me. Last scripture, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, As we continue to behold the Word of God, we are constantly being transformed into His very image from one degree of glory to another and to another and to another and a year from now you'll be at another and two years from now you'll be so much higher and five years from now if you'll just plant yourself in a place where the word of God can change you because it doesn't come from you it comes from the spirit you can't change yourself you can't fix yourself you can't pass a test by yourself the sixth test is this will you allow God to be the one to change your life that's it amen, amen. that's all I got so. That's it. Okay.